This podcast contains explicit language, really explicit language. Listeners of this show should be advised that we will deal with a cult that has certain ideas that are... Um... They're fucked, Paulina. Yeah, they're really fucked. We'll be dealing with all the ist, oughts, and ites. Racists, bigots, anti-Semites, misogyny, certainly. And ooh, eugenics. Kicking it old school with eugenics. Certainly a very old way to be racist. But you've got to remember, MGTOW and everything we're talking about is a cult. Uh, No matter what they say, nothing they say is real. And we love you. We absolutely love you. Thank you for coming along on the ride. And we're sorry already. (laughs) (laughs) A clip coming up later in the show. Yeah, honestly, I think this is a situation that's happening happening with a lot of people because i mean back in the day we had religion but nowadays it seems like we have pseudo religions like we have you know the republican party the democratic party the migtow party red pill party it seems like everybody wants to be part of a group and they're just not listening to each other What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a Hashtag Cult? Hashtag Cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. Can I tell you something? Like we were talking about before, me and my partner actually invented a word for the thing that the, of, of like taking the, cause I also am doing a similar activity that I have to do like when editing on my computer with this, like cause my microphone is in front of it and then I have to move it out of a way. Do you ever in life do this thing where like there's a table in front of you and you need to reach for something on a, a table or a chair behind it, but instead of like going around the normal way or moving the small object out of your way, you reach over it. That's like what setting up reminded me of. And we call that the move that shall not be named. So it's like, it's, it's like, why don't you just, I do that like pretty much nine fucking times a day. I'm like, oh, I got to get this thing behind my computer. And instead of like picking it up, it's like, I have to pretend I'm unhooking the computer's bra and like, <laughs> I have to like, ooh, just essentially get behind it. What do you think of that? We try to name things. We've named one thing really successfully. And now we want to try and get the move that shall not be named, get to catch on as well. Do you think that's a good name? For okay. It? I mean, that's a good, it's a good name. Okay. But I have a whole philosophy around that. I, I use I use that kind of behavior as a therapeutic education tool. Shut up. So what's wrong with me? 
no, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, everybody does it. And the whole thing is that when we're trying to be lazy, we end up working harder. And often that laziness is about avoiding doing something like getting up. So while you're avoiding getting up, you're actually working three, four, five times harder than you need to. Mm. Because, yeah, you keep trying to adjust into like a specific idea of comfort that you're in. So you're saying I'm lazy. Not at all. I think most people are not lazy. (laughs) They just call themselves lazy because we have a horrible, puritanical bullshit. You called me lazy. I never said it. (laughs) You said it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But more, see, I'm not lazy. I'm self-centered. And it's like, you haven't talked about whether or not you like the word. I'm willing to workshop the word. And yes, you're obviously more educated than me. Everybody is. Do you like the word? I do. I like oh, it. Okay, the okay. Mood that shall not be named. I like it. <laughs> the other one, other than hashtag cult, obviously, which which we invented. The other one was scrunching, which is when like a boss or someone at work decides to change something for no reason. They just want to oh, change. Oh, is it so that they could, so that they could seem relevant? Yes, that's scrunching. Yeah, scrunching. How how do you spell that? Is that like S C R U N G I N G? That's, yeah, that's, that's exactly, oh, okay. that's so, I'm not doing this to, to somehow make friends with you, God forbid. That's literally how we spell it. Wow, you nailed it in the first one. Yeah, you know, I was a third grade spelling bee champion, so. Really? That's where that came in. I'm yep. incredibly bad at spelling. Let's start the show. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Who the hell am I? I? Well, maybe I should shut up for once. Who the hell are you? Well, I'm Rachel Klachewski. I'm a sex and relationship therapist and educator. I've been working in my field for about 10 years and have been working to help people understand boundaries, relationships, their sexuality, sexual dysfunction. It kind of runs a bit of a gamut. Yeah. So I'm, needless to say, pretty fucking stoked to record with Rachel, um, We're going to do one of our most important um, interviews yet, but I'm going to put this out there now that you've had fun doing spelling with us. This is a serial (laughs) style podcast. It's, It's sequential. Go back right now, listen to episode one, and then move forward. Um, We are making a podcast documentary about a group called MGTOW. MGTOW stands for, Rachel, you knew MGTOW, which was crazy. MGTOW stands for- Rachel? Men go their own way. Going their own way. And and if you ever get it slightly wrong, they will tell you in the comments section. Um, Yeah, they're a group that kind of preys on the lack of experience in in sexual education or sexual experience or even just uh, the sexual point of view of people. Uh, We're going to get, see that word I just made up? Probably not a word. Rachel's going to have words for that stuff. What's okay? Wait. Now I can use your expertise. To another one on the air. What is that? What would what would you call that in your field? If there is a term for it, like uh, someone's experience outside of actual like intercourse and their and how they view intercourse itself and and sex itself. What is there? Is there a term for that? I think that 
you you kind of either caught me in my ignorance <laughs> or I don't know if there's a specific term. In no, this for is that. great because now we can invent it. Oh, that's right. You must name <laughs> More this More inventing thing. words. I just I just watched the thing about CTE with with Will Smith. You must give it a name, Rachel. Give it give it a name. Let's do it right here. I have to give it a name. Oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot. Okay, take the show. I'm not a great take the giver. show. You don't have to do it now. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe at the end of the show, I'll come up with something. <laughs> this is so much fun. I've told this story many times before, but you're, you're going to think of it. It's going to be fun because one time I had a bartender make me a cocktail, totally brand new, never before seen cocktail. And I was like, oh, name it, which I thought was a fun thing I said at a bar. And it was like I had like beat the guy's dog up. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> his face was just like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, oh, Okay. Great. You're really like, you're really reminding me of Sam from Cheers here. Anyway, they take advantage of sexually sort of frustrated or else uneducated um, men and kind of group them into their group to make them believe that this cult philosophy of how the world works is women are out to get them. And it is a cult. Uh, And today we have what I think is our most important interview ever. I mentioned on here before uh, that there are people who get out of this. We are talking to um, a, a guy, I'm not going to say his name because he, cause he asked me not to, but uh, my, my black opinion, he's a YouTuber. He's a young man in his uh, mid-20s who uh, was questioning MGTOW. Um, he's black, that's hence his name. And he's now part of the ex-RedPill Reddit. And I got to talk to him about his experience in, in watching this stuff. And me and Rachel are going to go through his interview what uh, overall impressions, Rachel, what did you think of this this interview? I think that he's so insightful in trying right? to understand how. Yeah. But when he was talking about how he fell into it and, you know, he made sense of that and also like what brought him out was very interesting, too. He also had such an amazing perspective of how this was affecting his relationship to his parents where he held himself accountable for his own actions which is very clearly not red pill behavior right like men holding themselves accountable no no (laughs) they don't do these things yeah I I think his interview I I couldn't agree with you more and I think we're going to let his clip speak for himself in some of it but yeah like wow this is somebody who and and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later uh, possibly in this in another episode, but this is the hallmark sort of awareness of people that we talk to that have officially and really gotten themselves clean and out of a cult, um, and they they have this awareness um, that is just it, it's it's amazing. You don't see it in. I don't. I don't talk to a lot of people who have gotten out of mental health crises, but you really don't see this. This when talk, it's distinct in talking. Chris Shelton has it. Uh, Hoyt Richards had it. There, this very distinct like awareness of what the problem was and and how they were affected by it. Um, I'm going to play clip number one, which is um, just uh, uh, generally I'm introducing it, but and then you'll hear our thoughts. Here's clip number one of my black opinion. Okay. Um. So. My name is Black, My Black Opinion. Um, I actually have a YouTube channel as well. You could definitely check that out. Um, I 
started learning about the red pill probably around five years ago. Um, eventually, I decided to create a counter movement. Or not necessarily create it, but embrace it, if that makes sense. So there is actually a subreddit called X Red Pill. And um, it's pretty much about a lot of different people who went through the Red Pill movement, realized that it was kind of BS, and um, we're kind of speaking out about it and, and really building a community around there uh, just to open people's eyes. I know that the Red Pill is really affecting a lot of youth. I actually just got off of an interview with somebody who was part of the Red Pill at 14 years old. So he started at 14 years old. Um, I did a little interview with him as well, and we're just talking about how we could really open people's eyes so that this really doesn't affect the youth in the future. So that's a little summary about, you know, what I'm doing right now. Thoughts on clip number one. Hmm? Go ahead. What are your thoughts? Do you have thoughts on it? On clip I one? mean, just understanding that he started at a really young age and he's introducing himself as ex-Red Pill, which already tells you that he's been through it. Um, yeah. I actually had a, a yeah. friend who was um, who had OCD like me and she had a, a far more extreme uh, condition of it. But that's what she called people who had uh, experienced some sort of mental health crisis. She called them been through it. Uh, and the been youngest- through it. Been th- I've been through it. I liked that. Uh, the youngest was also shocking. It didn't shock me as much in my reaction in there because we had already heard about somebody else getting in that. But I mean, I'm sure you've. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know when you end up actually seeing people in, in in your line of work, but I'm sure you have many opinions on young people not really understanding the world of dating and and sex. Absolutely. Um, I only work with adults, but I do talk to parents of queer teens. And you can already see the inundation occurring, you know, through the parents onto their kids. So I'll just start with like pleasure centered, you know, discussion about sex. And they're like, pleasure? Oh, no. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you think they're doing? They're not fucking to make babies. Like they're queer. We, you need to understand pleasure. And so straight from there, you're already understanding that kids aren't getting information from their parents. Mm-hmm. So they have to rely on the internet. Mm-hmm. And when the parents keep avoiding the conversations, they're going to find it from somewhere else. And so 14 is a very appropriate age to be online and to be searching for these things. And so him being 14 and inundated uh, by the red pill or the general manosphere isn't surprising. It is heartbreaking. Yeah. I never thought about it from the the angle of, you know, uh, I, I was certainly thinking about sex education across the board, but I never thought about it on the angle of like, uh, you know, you're not, it's never Gilmore Girls, is it? Like, that never exists. Like, I'm having urges, time to talk to mom. Like, that never happens. <laughs> so it's like, there is a, there is that line that parents have to cross that is somewhere between discussing pleasure and, you know, not talking about it at all. Uh, that's, that's a, 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 as I'm not a parent, I don't have to, to cross that bridge. But that's why we have Rachel. 
now that we've 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 given you that, here's time for a little bit of me to be proud of what I'm doing in clip number two, in which guess what? We've been heard of. Before we before we got on mic, you were saying you had seen our channel. Uh, we we post the raw interviews on YouTube, unedited, uncut. How did you feel about us analyzing Red Pill as a cult? Um, I felt really good because I recently made a video. This is why I kind of looked it up because I recently made a video called "Exposing the Red Pill Cult." <laughs> so I was I was actually like curious. I was like, I made a video about this. Um, maybe other people made a video about this too. Um, and it was really interesting. Like I never. I'm mostly focused on what I disagreed with the red pill, but you guys actually really analyzed the cult-like similarities that it has to a lot of different cults in the world. So I think, um, I thought it was really interesting when it came to the way that you guys analyze that. Not to, not to toot our own horn, but did it mm -hmm. make, did it let you make any more sense of what you went through in us calling it a cult? Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot more sense, because I know that the red pill is an echo chamber. Um, I recently tried to post on the red pill forum, um, maybe some alternatives to the red pill, and then all of my posts got denied because it had like, at least a little bit of an alternative opinion. And so it, it's just really an echo chamber. There's not really room for discussion of differences. So um, yeah, it's, it could get really extreme when it comes to the red pill farm just in general. So I definitely agree with that when it comes to cult-like behavior. So they just heard the clip. Rachel, he had seen yes. our work. He had seen it. That was an amazing thing to hear from somebody. I, I honestly think that in doing this stuff, it, it, it's not that internet shouting into the void thing, but you have a group that has commented against us, has really tried to rail us. They, they deal in making more information than you can break through on. And somebody had seen our stuff. I was, I was really moved by it. Yeah, obviously the work that, that has been done already on this podcast is incredible. I've been really impressed with it myself, listening to it on every moment that I get to go on walks with my dog or do the dishes. Um, Keep going. More praise it, for us. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You deserve it. One of the things that I definitely experienced was relief. I was somewhat concerned because when you do listen to a lot of information about how, about what they're, what they're learning in these groups it is difficult to just sit with that, right? It, it's difficult to sit with that information. It, it creates a sense of tension inside a person. And so listening to you and Paulina talking about it and really taking it apart and responding to it in such a great way was giving me relief. Yeah. Because especially in the episodes of the intervention. It's, it's, I, I still think about the, the, every single part of it and learning about it. And, you know, now that it's becoming more of a documentary, you look at it 
chronologically. And I think it's really impressive the amount of sensitivity and understanding that we showed considering how haphazard the information was about cults and all these things coming in at different angles. And it was just kind of via sheer guessing initially. And, you know, I feel very much more educated about how someone in a cult operates and how people get this information now. But it's amazing that we, that we just stuck to journalistic basics of hearing the objective side of it and finding the expert to comment on it and assuming that something else might be going on. Uh, and it, it made us it made us educate ourselves in a way that I genuinely think you see a lot. I mean, we, we, we exchanged something on the, the internet uh, earlier this week where it was someone commenting at someone who was, you know, an incel or, or whatever. And I have yep. all these feelings about those kind of things because it's like people want to shut them down or people want to do this. And it's like, listen to what they're saying, right? That's our, that's like our whole thing as a journalist is just like, just listen to them, like give them a chance to talk. And I think that was, that was part of how we managed to, to sound different. I, I think we sound more sensitive. I think that we sound more, um, maybe not sensitive, but more asking like, okay, like, you know, pretty basic, like therapist stuff that we're not trying to play therapist, but it's also basic journalist stuff. It's like, Okay, and why, and why that, and, and keep going, and letting someone talk. Yes, that's exactly, you, you provided compassion, right? And that's kind of the thing that is the, the, you know, the wrench in all of this for them. The second they experience compassion, they have to deal with that. Mm. And it's not something that they're getting in the spaces that they're in, right? When you go into red pill spaces, like I went to a website, like a MGTOW website. And it's just like one hateful thing after another. Mm. But there you are asking real questions, treating them with the respect that every human being deserves, you know, not trying to shut them down, giving them more and more space and really just being curious. That That is like 90% of therapy is listening to people and being present for them. Amazing. I'm, I'm, that's like, I'm going to keep that in my self-esteem box until I, you know, accidentally burn some food and then that'll go away and I'll need something else to boost <laughs> my confidence. But let's go to the next clip, which you're really going to start to see what me and Rachel are talking about with uh, my black opinion and how he carries himself. It's just crazy. Number one, I, I didn't really have much experience. I was still pretty young, probably like 17, 18 or something like that. Um, I really wanted to develop myself as as a man just in general, especially when it came to to masculinity and, and, and things of that sort. I really just wanted to figure out how I could grow into being a man um, and, and just do that just in general. Um, I was also kind of experiencing like some hardships like I was used by somebody like for attention and all that kind of jazz and she had a boyfriend the entire like there like small things like that like small aggravating things like that and and just being used etc cetera, etc cetera, those kind of situations could kind of lead you to be like oh man like this is annoying like like you know when people try to deceive you or or not be who they portray themselves to be, and that happens to you several different times, it could be really frustrating and really easy to fall into 
um, an ideology. Because back in the day, we didn't really have the red pill. So, you know, 20 years ago, if you got rejected or if you got used or, or if something happened, you had to fall and you had to get back up. But sometimes when you're on the Internet, you fall and then you fall into the giant pit of red pill or you fall into the giant pit of MGTOW, and it could be easy, especially when you don't really have as much experience as a, as a young child or an adolescent, you know what I mean? It's, you know, when you're younger, you're very impressionable, you know what I mean? As you get older, I mean, you gain more wisdom, but, you know, when you have these quote-unquote masculine figures who are 40, 30, telling you this is how you should live your life, it could be very easy, especially when you probably don't have or you don't really pay attention to the masculine father figure in your life, if that makes sense. Yeah. So this was all about self-improvement and, and uh, you know, being really honest about how he got indoctrinated. And he's talking about it like it's relationship advice, but he's really saying exactly how he got indoctrinated in a very from what we've researched, typical, prototypical, almost archetypal way that people get manipulated. Yeah. One of the things he said that really blew my mind was like, before the red pill, if you fall, you just have to get up. But now when you fall, you continue falling into the red pill pit. And he said, like, it's easy to listen to the male figures when you don't listen to your own father figure in life or if you don't have one, which he does discuss later, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in this particular case, just how he explained the presence of the red pill in and of itself lets these men spiral further it's- into the mess. It's, it's, it's amazing how much when we also describe these things to, to people in cults and cult experts and we go, you know, they just keep making up, you know, reasons for, for, for why this happens and, and, and doing all this stuff. And it's like that's, that's exactly how cults get formed. You just find a reason that, that it goes wrong. Um, on the other side of it, I think that I have a lot of thoughts that there's another clip that speaks to it later that I don't I don't know how much uh, I'm sure you have done a lot with it. But there's a thought that I had recently about people who get in abusive relationships and cults and coercive relationships getting that. And it's this thing of like sometimes these people just get lucky and find a partner that doesn't take advantage of them. You know, once you get in that low, that looking for someone to teach you, that looking for someone because you're broken to help you, well, then people come along that'll take advantage of it. And, and yeah, that, that part spoke to me on, on, on that. There's a, there's a quote he says later about getting into it more that, that, that we can go more into it. But I had this, this thought of like, man, it's just like if there's nothing there, you know, that's how it is for a lot of people that get in coercive relationships. There's, there's no one there giving me this, you know, that, that was the theme throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, wh- where's the person to give this to me? Okay. Random person that says they have the answer. Great. <laughs> are you nice or are yeah. you horrible? I also noticed something really interesting about like MGTOW and red pill. And, and again, this entire group that like, 
coaches are a big part of that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like all these coaching pages and stuff. And for a while, I was like, oh, what if I, you know, stop doing some therapy work to do more like short-term coaching type stuff. And then I had all of these predatory like coaches to teach you how to coach. And I found something really interesting. The reason I never did it was because they wanted me to tell people that I had a guaranteed solution, which that's absurd. And also trying to make them feel like they need me. And there was just, yeah, there was moral injury there for me. I could not authentically and with integrity put myself out in the world to make people feel like they needed my work. Yeah. So Um, I've been debating. uh, That's a huge part of of this whole thing is, is, you know, people want to be, I'm going to put this PSA out here, even though I tweeted it. And then I'm going to say two things that are kind of relevant. One's housekeeping. Am I previewing what I'm going to say enough for you? Say what you're going to say, then say it, then say what you said. The worst writing advice every English teacher tells you. Okay, here I go. Um, Thing one, I've been debating what episode to do next. Um, Here's the PSA. TEDx, guys, is an open mic. Yes. That's it. TEDx, anyone, I actually used to run, uh, a big part of my artwork was running shows at at bars and running uh, festivals and things. And so when we were running at certain events, I would, you know, run an event that was free for the bar or I would get a cut or something like that. And then we would do something else. And so I was looking into TEDx events. And TEDx events, you literally, they have only one requirement, which is the reason I didn't do it, is uh, you can't charge money for the event. Um, and anyone mm-hmm. can speak. Those are the two rules. You have to let anyone come up and speak. And the only reason you can reject someone is if you set out a topic and someone refuses to speak on the topic. Um, but they're open mics. Uh, so just that, way, that that culture of like people wanting to be the center of attention and all that stuff. There's two episodes I wanted to do. One is mm-hmm. to do next. The interview with um, Peter Nolan, who uh, you know is an online bully, is sort of a leader of this cult, is, you know... Uh, mm-hmm. not a great guy in a lot of ways and, and has pushed this movement for many years now. Um, and he is, you know, the reason I want to do him next, and this is part of housekeeping, is he says some really crazy stuff about Sharia law. And someone was listening to it and we teased this before and they said, hey, you should know this about Islam. And I was like, oh, like everyone, I am very much on your side that this guy does not know what he's talking about with uh, Islam. Uh, he, I just want, I was very upset to hear him say it. And so we, I really wanted to get him out there because I also don't think people should be watching him. And I think he's a, a prototypical, this person that wants people to listen to him and doesn't care who listens to him. But even more than that was an interview with John Sanmez, who did these, uh, who was a life coach and tells people to lose weight and not to be a victim and all these different things that are mm-hmm. not great. So I'm debating between those two. And I feel like after what you said, maybe we do John Sommes, who has this life coach system that he tries to sell on his website. Okay. Um, but, sure. But yeah, that's needing you is, I mean, that's literally trying to make a cult. Yeah. Yeah. It feels abusive. It's, isn't it, is it not the goal people... of every therapist to get people to stop doing therapy? Literally, the motto of the social worker is work to put yourself out of work. <laughs> I like that. 
It's yeah. crazy. I mean, that that in itself, like if, if, if hashtag cult, you know, if we finish this MGTOW movie, right, and we finish the, the, this, this stuff with the MGTOW, that is one of the areas that I would love to tackle. I made a movie called Telephone Dieting, and, you know, it came up in that was, you know, dietitian was the one you had to go to school for and nutritionist was the one anyone could say. You know, life mm-hmm. coach is a general term. You know, uh, that that's one of the areas I would think to research next and, and to talk to those to those people if this became a bigger series beyond beyond MGTOW. But let's go into uh, the next clip. Um, wait, hold on. Let me check yeah. in on something. Uh, Rachel, are you having fun? Yeah. Okay. This is great. I, I I'm one of those people who has to who has to like if you're at if you're at the you're at like the 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 water park I have to be like I'm having so much fun like I have to say it during it because I need to okay I have a lot of insecure okay you're feeling great though I'm feeling great this is wonderful okay let's do a little bit of an of a not icebreaker to have fun here um, what is your favorite type of shoelace. Do you have any opinions on shoelaces? Do you hate any shoelaces? Okay, so I'm kind of a boots kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Like anything with zippers, I will wear. So the only person I get shoelaces for is my kid. And I actually get the ones that you don't have to tie because the school is like, we don't want them touching their shoes. Mm. Um, Are those the curly cue ones? Pandemic. Uh, no, I forgot what they were called, but they, they're kind of like these silicone pieces that you just kind of put through the holes yes. and you could stretch the shoe out. Yeah. When we were children, those. it was those those curly cue ones and those did not work for shit. Do you no, remember they those? Didn't. I just tied my shoes. Yes. They, they did not work. <laughs> and there's a, They did not work at all. <laughs> I, I honestly, I have moved towards, when we were kids, do you remember there were these shoes that came out, these Nike shoes that came out, and they were surrounded in rubber. They were, they were usually blue or sometimes purple, and they were surrounded in rubber so that it was like a secure running shoe you could slip on. Do you remember these? I don't remember this. No, I don't. I'll send you a picture after. There's someone yelling in the phone like, yes. And that kind of seeing that shoe like changed my life. And for years, no joke. I found out because my grandpa started to get older and, you know, had um, arthritis. It was harder for him to tie his shoes. So they got him. Mm-hmm. They got all the arthritis stuff. They got the Wii. Um, they got uh, <laughs> they got them different golf clubs and they got them forks. They didn't like the forks. They said the forks were harder. But I got him Velcro shoes. And I, I was literally like, they make Velcro shoes for adults. I'm obviously never buying uh, tie shoes again. And it's been this goal to never tie my shoes. Um, and now I'm thinking zipper boots. I don't, they don't make a lot of good zipper boots for men. That's a problem. They don't, but Blandstone does make really good boots for men and they happen to be slip on, but Blandstone is really good. Yeah. I'm writing Mm -hmm. it down. You heard it Um, here first. Yeah. So, (laughs) um well you know something that we may not have clarified you said when we were kids so you're assuming that we're around the same age i assume everyone is the same age as me uh i am (laughs) historically and possibly not kind of a joke here but but uh actually i'm sort of disguising it as a joke so that i feel less self-conscious possibly a learning disorder i have a really hard time with years frequently have to ask people how old I am and like, you know, what day, what, 
how long ago a certain year was, and so I've made sure to tell people, hey, if I ever get like injured, let them know that I never could do that, because, uh, so that's like a thing with me. I assume we're the same age because I also live in some sort of Peter Pan-like jovial bubble where I constantly live at 12 years old and find like poop jokes and things like that. Very funny, like it doesn't even really need to be a joke, it's just poop is funny. Um, uh, yeah, I, guess... I agree with that statement. Okay, so then we're the same age. <laughs> Wait, how, how old are you? Let me guess, 94. Oh, close. So close. But no cigar. I was born in 1984, so the 94 is not far away. Just no. You know. I was gonna yeah. say that. I, that's that's you're not close to 94. Anyway, we're pretty much the same <laughs> age. That being said, coming from someone who has a hard time calculating years, it sounds the same to me. Uh, if you or someone you know has experienced a hashtag cult, is trapped in a hashtag cult, or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show, go to hashtagcult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story. 